Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Your job interviewing like a thousand times a year. <laughs> You're just constantly going in. So I don't even know if rejection is a good word for it. I mean, it is in, on some level, but it's, it's almost like it's just part of the exercise. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of In the Envelope. Uh, the voice you just heard, today's guest, is none other than Ivan Strahovski, star of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, and someone who's worked in a lot of different areas of the industry and therefore has tons of career advice and like tangible, specific technique tips for like a wide variety of mediums here, including voiceover. We talked about Broadway. We talked about... TV acting versus film acting. Um, There's a lot of really great stuff to dig into here. Uh, But first, I wanted to take a moment to speak on behalf of Backstage at what is, I think, a crucial turning point, a crucial moment in uh, this country and in the world. Uh, Backstage stands with the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, We have issued a statement that is out on Backstage.com. We're going to link to it in today's episode description, but I'm going to read from it here. Uh, We know there is much more work to be done, and we are going to continue playing our part. As the starting point for many looking to bring their stories and themselves to the stage or the screen, we know the power of inclusive art and art making. Our ongoing mission to provide platforms, hold space for, and actively champion Black and Brown stories and inclusive casting will not stop. This, I think, is a moment for for those of us at Backstage, and maybe many of you, if you're listening, uh, to reflect on ways to educate yourself, to take action using whatever resources you have at your disposal, and to use your voice and um, to use your platforms to make that voice heard. And since that's very much what this podcast is about, that's very much what Backstage is about, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, among the things that Backstage will be doing going forward, we have donations to the NAACP, Color of Change, and uh, other organizations affiliated with the Black Lives Matter movement. We hope that if you have the means, you can join us in committing to that cause. We're also going to link to a really excellent list of resources all relating to how to get involved. That will actually be linked in future episodes going forward, and it's a list of resources that's going to be added to as we continue to live through this moment in history together. So let us switch gears and get to today's amazing interview with Ivan Strahovski, the first of many Emmy contenders coming down the pike. If you have not subscribed to In the Envelope, do so wherever you listen to your podcasts, and please follow backstage 
on Instagram at BackstageCast, on Twitter at Backstage. We are here for you. We hear you. And uh, I think that's all I have to say for today. So let's take a quick break and then hear from Yvonne. If you are listening to In the Envelope, you probably love theater. And that means that Playing on Air might be your new favorite podcast. Playing on Air records great short audio plays. In just 15 or 20 minutes, you can hear fully crafted plays written by Tony-winning playwrights, including Lynn Nottage, Doug Wright, David Auburn, performed by world-class actors like Timothy Chalamet, Audra McDonald, and Marisa Tomei. After each piece, host Claudia Catania leads a lively conversation with the artists about the play, their craft, the ups and downs of the theater industry. As I myself wrote in Backstage years ago, the sheer quality of playing on air's episodes makes them required listening for working actors and smart audiences. Listen, I still mean it. To tune in, subscribe to Playing On Air wherever you download your podcasts. Yvonne Strahovski has been working in film and TV, voiceover, and Broadway ever since her breakout leading role in the hit show Chuck. The Australian native has starred on Dexter, 24 Live Another Day, The Astronaut Wives Club, and now ABC's drama Stateless, co-created by Kate Blanchett, and as Serena Joy on Hulu's dystopian drama The Handmaid's Tale, a role that has earned her a Primetime Emmy nomination. Here it is, our chat with the talented Yvonne Strahovski. Hello, Yvonne. How are you today? I'm really well. How How about you? I'm all right. Um, I'm curious, where in the world are you? I managed to get back into Los Angeles before everything oh. shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Were you somewhere? Were you like filming somewhere? Yeah, we had just started Handmaid's Season 4 in no Toronto. And yeah, and prior to that, actually, I had been traveling everywhere during this entire outbreak so i'd be surprised if i don't have the antibodies to this thing <laughs> oh sure yeah. we were on my you know my husband and my son and i we we went from here to chicago to europe to the berlin yeah. film festival to premiere stateless and then on to canada for handmaids before we got shut down it's really it's wild it's um and i suppose your plan for the time being is to stay put at home and uh what else is coming up or what else were you working on? Well, we, uh, I was working on The Handmaid's season four. And then we were, I was going to, and then Stateless, we managed to get the premiere in, in February at the Berlin Film Festival. So that aired in Australia. And really then it was going, uh, and it still is going to release globally on Netflix, mm-hmm. hopefully probably around June. But I guess, you know, usually we'd do some press or whatever, you know, magazines or photo shoots or things like that right. to promote that. And, um, I guess, you know, that's probably not happening. Uh, and then the right. tomorrow war, the, the film that I shot, um, recently as well, they moved, that was originally premiering at the end of this year, releasing in December. And I actually, they just announced that it's now moved to, I think July of 2021. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I guess wow. all the, you know, usually we go around doing all like promotional things and, um, mm-hmm. it's all, you know, stopped. 
<laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. But I was just telling your friend, I'm, I'm really not mad at, uh, being at home. It's been, it's been a really busy time for me in, in the last few years. And right. of course when it rains, it pours and I, you know, I have first time mom. So I had my son and then things mm-hmm. have just been really sort of back to back between handmade shooting handmade season three and then going to Australia to shoot stateless and then the tomorrow mm-hmm. war. And it's just kind of been back to back to back. And we haven't been home. My, my son has not really experienced home at all for more than really two weeks. So this is a really nice time for us as a sure. family to be home and just do silly things that have piled up, like, you know, frame some artworks and put oh, some photos sure. <laughs> and just get around to those, you know, home things really. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And the, those kinds of things that are maybe good for the soul, you're not necessarily scrambling to like, because we've been asking on this podcast, we've been asking people, what are you doing to stay sharp as an actor or as an artist? But just settling and nesting is maybe a crucial part of that process, right? I, you know, for me, it absolutely is. And I would, I am doing absolutely nothing to stay sharp as an actor. And I need okay. it. I, that, that's for me is the medicine because I've, it's just been day in and day out. And I think for me, this break is going to be the exact thing that I need to mm-hmm. uh, maintain sharpness, I guess, when we finally go back. So I'm right. just kind of, I'm, I'm in this, you know, I'm, I'm, of course I'm, you know, on the phone and reading scripts for future projects and, oh, cool. um, starting to sort of develop certain things on my own. And, but you know, it's just take it easy right now. It's nice yeah. to change the pace up a little bit because life is real. It's in the fast lane when things are go, go, go. No, I, I think that's actually great advice. I mean, a lot of our listeners are maybe early career or working artists at all levels. And I think it's good advice sometimes to slow down and work on yourself. And by doing so, that does keep you sharp as an actor or as an artist. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you've got to, I mean, that old cliche of looking after your instrument and, you know, which is your body, your mm-hmm. mind, your soul, your heart. So I really needed that. I mean, it's kind of funny. I was saying to my husband, probably for the last several months, I kept saying, oh my God, I just need, I just need everything to stop. Like I just need the world to stop. And I literally <laughs> got that wish. <laughs> uh, oops. And, yeah. I mean, the, the obviously the, the reason is terrible in, you know, there, there, people are dealing with a lot of loss and that's obviously awful, but just in our little world here in our little house, it's yeah, it's been okay so far for us. Well, that's good to hear. Um, we've just gotten such varied responses about how everyone's doing. We're all in just these, it's completely unprecedented. And I'm really glad that we were able to record this podcast remotely. So thank you for joining us on In The Office. Yeah, of course. <laughs> And you've spoken in backstage before. I mean, we're such huge fans of you. Um, and I would love to just ask, like, you know, all of the actorly questions. Yeah. But um, first of all, you started acting at a pretty young age. Did you have, like, a moment where were you ever bit by the acting bug? What was the initial inspiration? Oh, gosh. I don't really remember that moment because I just always remember being, like, really eager to use the you know, the big chunky home video camera, the JVC oh. <laughs> after the day that my head did, my dad had, he's in, he's in electronics. So he, he always had one of those video cameras at home. And, mm-hmm. um, I was just always very eager to perform. I was pretty, like, I was a pretty clowny kind of show offy kind of kid. So I, um, you know, would grab friends and often make up silly 
shows and mimic commercials and all that fun kid stuff that you do <laughs> at yeah. a young age. So I just kind of always remember it was, it was just always ingrained in me that I always wanted to perform in some way, shape or form. So I was, you know, I think from about 12 onwards, I was always involved in some kind of, you know, acting class after school or whatever. And mm-hmm. then throughout high school, I was involved in the school plays. We always did an annual Shakespeare and then a musical and then all the drama stuff outside of that as well. So I definitely um, always kept myself busy with um, that. And was there, what was your relationship with like the professional aspect, the idea of, of acting as making a living doing it? Like, did you have a moment of going, oh, I'm going to make this my career career? Yeah, I, I think I always kind of just had decided that. I, I don't know that I ever cool. had a m- moment where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I just, it was automatic, an automatic transition for me straight from school into my three year. We, I did a bachelor of performance, which is essentially a theater degree with a little bit of theory involved. So it's, you know, you learn about running a company. So I did that for three years. I graduated. My friend and I started a theater company right. in Sydney. We adapted some plays from Finland actually, because my partner was Finnish and is mm. she's Finnish. Um, so we we produced and put on a bunch of plays and then and then I ended up here in the states and uh, I, it, it, and then got into film and television here and then it was seven years before I got on the stage again which was my, my Broadway yeah. debut for Golden Boy right. right yeah which I saw back in the day <laughs> and I still remember oh wow yeah oh my God. And I still remember uh, I remember I, I actually sort of remember the the reading of it as you, you had been sort of branded as a TV actress by that point. Mm-hmm. And this was your return to the stage. Oh, was that time. like, a, <laughs> I mean, I almost, I want to ask like, how different are they theater versus screen? Is there one that you're more comfortable with or prefer? Like, where are you most at home? You know, I would, at the time, if you'd asked me as I was working on getting that role, I mm-hmm. would have said, definitely the camera but what was really what was strange was when I you know I finally got the job and and I rocked up to New York and we got into the Belasco theater for the first time and I remember standing on the stage going oh like it just Hmm. was such an overwhelming feeling of weirdly what felt like home but in the most terrifying way possible because I hadn't stood on a stage um a theater stage for so long and I remember being terrified, but I also like, I just felt like, ah, oh, this is, this is what I've been missing. This is what I used to do. This is how, how I trained. This is my yeah. childhood. It was my endless, you know, young adulthood and childhood and all the things that I did. That's all I ever did. I never did camera stuff until I came to the States. So Amazing. oddly they're, they're so very different, but I, but I think at this point I feel really at home with both, but it's been so long since I've been on the stage again, that if that happened again, I probably be terrified all over again <laughs> right. but is it like riding a bicycle do you do you just yeah does it all come back to you yeah it really does yeah it does it's 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 fun it's weird it's got it's so much beauty in in stage it's like a one take wonder that you can just yeah. write it's like a 3d one take is how i see it because <laughs> you it's not like a 2d multiple take kind of situation where you're on camera and there's a frame and everything you do pertains kind of just to that frame whereas on a stage it's your entire 3d body from your head to your toes and 
you just can kind of, I don't know, it's like a, like a dance as well. It's great. That is a cool way of thinking of it. Yeah. If, it, if that's an interesting way of thinking about it, if you're a screen actor who's going onto the stage, it's full body, yeah. it's three dimensional <laughs> and it's, uh, it's harder. I mean, the longer take is harder, right? It takes more stamina. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know that you necessarily think of it that way. Cause when you're in it, you know, yeah. once the curtain's up, that's it, you're in, it's like between you're action in. and cut. once you're, you're in it, you're in it. And mm. I mean, sure, you know, you get in your head here and there or whatever, but for the most part, I feel like actors mm. generally in it and they're performing and they're doing their thing and you can just really get lost in what you're doing up there because no one's stopping you. It's just mm. you. And and there's no break. And it's in a lot of ways, uh, for me, very freeing because of the 3D experience and the, you, all the space around you mm. that you get to fill with all your movement and your energy. And you have, you mentioned the uh, coming to the US was when you really started the screen work. You have kind of an amazing story in terms of like, we ask a lot about the big break and you got your SAG card and you became uh much more of a known figure by being cast on Chuck. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, what was the story behind that? You moved to the U.S. just temporarily to audition for a few things and see how it would go. Yeah, I, I just, I, I think I booked a return ticket. It was like a two month stay. I had just gotten representation because of a shorter trip that I'd taken at the end of the year before, and it was pilot season. And so my, mm -hmm. my managers were like, you know, you should come and meet a few casting agents and go on some auditions. But ironically, the audition, the Chuck audition was done from Sydney on a tape. So okay. I had, I had, because I, I think I was late to pilot season. Um, I, I only got there in February, whereas pilot season traditionally used to start in January and, uh, mm -hmm. and I had put a tape down, sent it in and I landed here. And I remember the next day, they had just watched it. It coincided with me landing. And so I remember still being jet lagged and walking into an office mm -hmm. and meeting, um, Josh Schwartz and Chris Fedak and McGee, who was going to direct. Um, and it was like, it was like one thing after another. Then it, they asked me, you know, if I would test the next day. And at the time I had no idea what they were talking about. Uh, um, yeah. and then I, and then testing for the studio and then the network and, you know, this whole approval process, but it all happened over the course of 48 hours. And it was insane. Wow. I just, remember I had no idea how this business in America right. worked at all at the time. It was like, and it, it was insane. <laughs> I'm sure. And I'm sure looking back on it is different. Like, was it one of those things where you, you didn't know how much you didn't know. And now looking back, you understand the position you were in. Yeah. I, I really was very naive at the time. I mean, it was also, how old was I? I think I was 24 or 25. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty young. And yeah, I, yeah, looking back, it's so wow. I mean, it was probably better in a lot of ways that maybe that um, I didn't really know what was coming next because it was kind of bang, bang, bang and getting thrown mm -hmm. in the deep end and kind of figuring everything out on the go, which, you know, it, there's something in, in, in it when you're not thinking about it too much, you know, you're just kind of, right. you're just kind of going with it and, and your instincts are very much at play in those situations. Oh, like maybe because it's such a world when you have to live in the moment. <laughs> You're right. It's very, yeah, it was very, um, be in the, in the present moment. But that must've been quite the self tape. You must've really nailed the self tape. <laughs> uh, 
I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't you know. You don't what even I remember. Cause it, yeah, it was like an afterthought, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, yeah, I don't really remember <laughs> putting it down. I, you know, I remember then I did have to read obviously, you know, in front of the, the studio execs and then the network execs. And that was the day that I met Zach was at the test. Um, mm. Zach is like Chuck and that was it. And then, yeah. And then that was it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what would you say, like, from your, from that training, you mentioned there was a little bit of theory as well in your training, like, which of those skills are most useful to you? I guess both in on-camera work and just, I mean, just in general, what, what would you say your training is? I mean, the, I guess by theory, I mean, the theory wasn't really re- relevant at all. And looking back, I mean, sorry okay. if I'm offending anyone, but no, um, that's good to know. As in like, there was, I think the theory p- component of the university degree was really just because it was a, as a university degree and it had to have some technical theory component. Do you get what I mean? Like, yes. you know, essay writing or whatever and analysis, but really, you know, that's stuff you do at, at school. But I think from, for theater and for the training part of it, the practical stuff was really mm. the greatest takeaway of, you know, having a bunch of actors and teachers come in and teach us about stage and different techniques and Stanislavski and, you know, all that stuff. And then kind mm. of, you know, just educating yourself on, on all those things and putting it into practice, um, physically and, uh, being able to read scripts uh, really, I mean, that's mm. kind of, the biggest thing. And, and that's always something that I'm, you know, still to this day, I think the more you read, the more scripts you read, the more you can definitely differentiate between great and not great and everything in between and gotcha. what speaks to you and what, you know, and kind of it's a lifelong journey of learning, but I, you know, that's with everything, isn't it? Totally. I feel like, yeah, not enough people talk about reading as a skill and reading as an actor, I suppose. You mentioned right now you're reading a bunch of scripts. Mm-hmm. That is it safe to say the more you do that, that the the better taste you have, the better in touch with yourself you are. Do you do a lot of like reading a script and and assessing whether or not you're right for a certain role? I mean, I do uh, definitely reading. I think definitely um, you get better at at figuring out what's. Um, what's for you and what's not. And mm-hmm. I think your taste levels for sure improve the more you read. Um, but I mean, I mean, for me, I mean, I don't know. I pretty much know when I've started something within the first 20 pages oh, at this okay. point. I mean, I probably could not have said that 10 years ago, but now, you mm-hmm. know, I'm 20 pages and I'm already, I definitely know if I'm not doing it, that's for sure. But if I'm curious, mm. <laughs> you know, right, <laughs> then I'll keep right. reading. And I, I mean, I, I love asking about the creation of a theater company. I mean, it sounds like something that is so hard to do, but you did that at such a young age. Can I ask, like, what what is the advice for someone who wants to start a theater company and wants to read scripts and adapt them for the stage? Like, what do you recommend? Uh, I think it depends on what kind of person you are. I think, you know, for me, it was beneficial to have a partner. So my friend and I, we did it together mm-hmm. so that we could bounce off of each other if you're able to kind of be highly motivated and be your own kind of driving force without having a bouncing board, then, you know, power to you. But for me, it was about having another individual where we could collaborate together and refine our ideas and everything Mm -hmm. else, you know, out of that. So, um, she actually had 
the script ideas because she had seen a couple of the plays in Europe and uh, we had translated them to English and then adapted them to an Australian audience. So we sat down and we had met a director um, who taught us in uh, our third year of drama school, Russell, and Russ became our collaborator and our director. So we mm-hmm. would sit with Russ and kind of nut, nut out the translations and refine them into better adaptations and then put them up. And so then we assemble a team, which was usually, you know, theater friends, like we'd get mm-hmm. someone to help us produce it. We'd um, get our friends to help paint the sets. Like we would be in my parents' wow. garage painting the sets mm-hmm. and cutting them out and, we we would outsource uh awesome costume designers and then we'd cast one of them was was more the original play that we did was just the two of us so it was it was a vehicle Mm. for us Mm -hmm. Uh, but the second one we we cast uh some other people in it and yeah i mean we were but we were taught how to do this in drama school in australia Mm -hmm. back you know when i was at drama school (laughs) what we were taught was very much kind of along the lines of, you know, it's really hard to get a job as an actor. So you're probably going to be unemployed. So you're probably going to want to create your own work. And that was what was drummed into us. So that's what we did. We, we, and in, in drama school, we actually set out a play every year or every, you know, cycle of plays that we would do so that the people who are offstage were manning the soundboards, designing the lighting and rigging the lighting, producing it, like making the posters. And then a bunch of us were also in the sewing room, making all the costumes. So we learned wow. we, every single person did every single one of those things. So we would gain an understanding of how it works and what you need to yeah. do. And to empower yourself as, as not just an actor. Yeah, exactly. Which is really valuable. And, and, um, yeah. And probably, you know, in the future will come in handy for me again, you know? Well, sure. Yeah. It's funny because we, I feel like on this podcast, we've talked to a lot of mostly American actors and in their training, the, the consensus seems to be that that element of, um, this is what it's like to audition. This is how much rejection you will face, that that's not really a part of the education and so that then when they enter the real world, it comes as a huge shock. Mm. And it sounds like your educators were intent on making sure that you felt empowered and that maybe also your expectations were realistic about the industry. Yeah, I really, you know, I do. I have very realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, I don't know what other people would say, but I, that was my takeaway from it. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's important. We, you, it's like, I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, I guess for people who go and do job interviews, you know, in like an office setting or whatever, you go to a job interview and then you're typically with that job for an extended amount of time. Whereas with actors, depending on the mm-hmm. length of the job, you're, you're job interviewing like a thousand times a year. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're totally. just constantly going in. So I don't even know if rejection is a good word for it. I mean, it is in, oh. on some level, but it's it's almost like it's it's just part of the exercise. And gotcha. that's why I think it's important to learn, you know, people who are up and coming and building their career to treat each audition as just another day and another exercise and a way to... Hmm sink your teeth into some new material and give your spin on it and Mm -hmm. present that. And really it's just 
I guess it's kind of like doing school presentations. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. yeah. I'm just, <laughs> you know, like you're, it's just the thing that you're going to be doing in your life. You're presenting yourself and you're right. showcasing yourself constantly. It's like, yeah, I guess maybe that's a better word for you. You're always showcasing yourself. Mm. And then and every so often one of those, sometimes someone will say, Hey, uh, you're really great. And you're hired. That's really wonderful advice. It's a wonderful way of thinking of that rather than, uh, as rejection, which is maybe a negative term. It's more like it's, it's just part of the job. It's a necessary part of the job. Yeah. And it's sort of, I get, you know, I mean, obviously I've, you know, been stressed in earlier days in my career where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you fall into a pattern sometimes of thinking, Oh, you know, what if I don't get this or, you know, mm-hmm. what if this and what if that, but it really, um, another way when you look at it, you know, the other way of this is for me, this is not for them. This is for me. This is my exercise. This is my character for the day. This is my homework. This is my, uh, my breath into this work. And you kind of, Mm. if you take ownership of it and put that spin on it, it's not for anyone else. It's for you. And then you can have fun doing it. And it doesn't really matter if someone says no at the end of the day, you just went right for it and you're moving on and you go next. <laughs> totally. It is for, it is for you. It is for the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you go down those kind of spirals of what if this, what if that, especially maybe early career, like during dry spells, I mean, where did that thought process go? First of all, did you ever consider a plan B? Did you have like another career in mind? Not really. I, I've been very lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for how things have gone since I've been mm-hmm. here. I've been busy. I, I haven't really had a, a dry spell in 13 years, which is really great. And I'm really obviously thankful for that. Um, I think back in Australia when I was building, cause that's when I, that, that was sort of the first three years of my life professionally outside of drama school where I was really building stuff and getting to know the industry there and mm-hmm. myself in it. And yeah, I think back then I remember, <laughs> I remember thinking, Oh, you know, I guess if this won't work out, maybe I'll, um, I'll buy one of those dog washing vans and be uh, <laughs> a mobile dog washing Amazing. person. Uh, or I don't know, I used to come up with all these ideas and also ideas a great plan B. of how, of what to do, you know, during the dry spells and expecting them, you know, cause it's something that's casual enough that you can let it go. You know what I mean? Like that's why a lot of actors end up in restaurant jobs because you can sort of you have flexible hours or, you know, it was all about trying to figure out what can I do that has flexible hours, like where I can make money where I'm not, when I'm not working as an actor, if I have Mm. all these dry spells. Yeah. Which is a smart way of going about it. I think. Yeah. Um, can I also ask, I wanted to ask about voiceover because you've done quite a bit of it, including for video games. Mm -hmm. Um, we'd love to hear the technical advice about how to, how to act voiceover. We talked about the difference between stage and screen. Is it a completely different gear to shift into to just be voiceover? Uh, it's different. It is different for sure. I mean, you can, you can rock up to work wearing, you know, pajamas or whatever you want. Cause nobody's <laughs> really looking at you. It's all about your voice. However, um, you do still have to, 
embody the character in a certain way so that vocally it's uh, a mm. truthful performance in the same way that you want your um your body and your face to be genuine when you're on camera and oh. and depending on who you are again what kind of actor you are some you know a lot of people you hear a lot of actors say oh the shoes uh, of the character shoes really um mm. you know really helped me to finally kind of piece together that last piece of the puzzle of this character and really made me feel like this person or whatever so i don't know depending on who you are you might feel like it's better for you to Mm-hmm. wear certain shoes or wear a certain outfit and not rock up in your pajamas or whatever it is, right. you know, or, mm. and in the room, I mean, you're still kind of, you're still emoting, um, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but it's just a, a different kind of hyper-focus, which is significantly just on your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's different. It's different, but I feel like in the moment when you're, when you're speaking the words, you kind of end up doing a lot of the same things anyway. You're, you're still like, if someone had pointed a camera at you while I did record your face while you were saying the words, you would still be gotcha. emoting and right. okay. doing, doing the relevant expressions. So don't underestimate how physical it, it could be. And is that, I mean, that's supposedly also true for the motion capture work, which is purely physical and voice. Yeah, I haven't really done the mocap stuff. Um, the the Mass Effect thing was just my put my face on the character. It wasn't my body though. Someone else did all that stuff. Um, uh, okay, I, I'm not even sure if it was mocap or if they just digitally created it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's a, it can be really physical, especially. I mean, gosh, even in ADR, when we're you know coming mm-hmm. into the studio to do fix up the lines from the you know from shows and mm-hmm. especially on very physical shows you know, you're, you have to <laughs> kind of have to like punch the air or do, you know, right. Get the right energy levels and the, <laughs> right. yeah, it can, it can be pretty physical sometimes. Interesting. Yeah. Any, I guess any screen actor who has to do ADR is going to end up with some voiceover experience because of that. That's a yeah. necessary part of the job. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Hmm. Now what about accent work? Because your accent work is impeccable. I'm wondering, do you work with a coach? Did you? How did you master the uh, the American accent at first? I don't think I worked with a coach actually when I first got here on Chuck. I can't. Maybe I did just to net out the first episode. I actually can't remember to be honest. I don't mm-hmm. think I did. Um, but you know, I think as Australians uh, and probably many other cultures around the world, we're pretty exposed to american film and television mm-hmm. growing up okay so you kind of already have a little bit of a a play accent in your brain growing up you know in the way that you mimic people and imitate people's accents and stuff so mm. and we had and, and again in drama school we had a lot of uh great voice training and accent training by a lovely, by a lovely woman named Jennifer White. And she actually ended up coaching me all these years later, um, for stateless, the, the, the thing that's going to premiere on Netflix. So that came around full circle, which was really amazing. I had to do, um, the, uh, like a German thing on that show, which Mm -hmm. I've never done. So she helped me through that. Um, but as far as the American, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, just hearing, people on set and being around people that's the that's the greatest lesson i mean obviously accent coaches Mm -hmm. are awesome but um 
but you really act, it's not just about pronunciation of the words, it's about falling into the cultural melody of how people speak. And here in America, there is a very specific cultural melody um, that it was really great to watch everybody for five years uh, on my first show, you know, mm-hmm. and hear everybody and the cadence and the intonation, you know, it's, you you, sort of absorbing it. I just, I remember, you know, being on set for the pilot and I had to say something about the nerd herd and (laughs) I couldn't say it at the time in American because I couldn't wrap my head around the double R nerd herd. And those were the oddest words for me. (laughs) <laughs> then like order and burger like the er er which americans mm. will say but straight as an australian we say burger order you know girlfriend <laughs> you don't hit the r it, here it's girlfriend and it's it's a different sound and i it was so hard and i had to we had to change i'm pretty sure we changed the line in the pilot to change the line yeah okay. I didn't say nerd herd, so I said geek squad because I <laughs> couldn't say it. And so, um, cool. but now, now it's so different. I've lived in the States right. 13 years and pretended to be American for most of that time. So you can't help but <laughs> fall into it. And yeah. I'm, I get made fun of often by um, people back home because my own accent, whatever I sound like now, is a mishmash of right. you know, all of that. So. Yeah, the cultural rhythms is super, that's super interesting. And I suppose the longer you live in a place, the more you're like subconsciously in tune with that, I suppose. For sure. You totally pick up on that. I mean, yeah. it's it's very, it's very quick, especially if you're surrounded by people of that culture mm-hmm. and you're not, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't have Aussies around all the time for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have Aussies around all the time. I'm also married to an American. So I hear, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always listening to it at home as well well so this is maybe an awkward transition but i have to ask you about serena and the handmaid's tale because <laughs> i do think it's a fascinating way of looking into your process as an actor um mm-hmm. is there a cultural rhythm to gilead like does the uh is there an outside in approach with the voice of serena there uh yeah there's yeah i mean it's gilead is very dangerous and high stakes Mm -hmm. so it's quite stiff and Mm. it's not exactly um you know you can't just wear whatever you want you can't be whoever you want you you have to live within the bounds of what that very strict society tells you so Mm -hmm. very restrained and serena you know as a human is also uh, well, she isn't, she tries to be very restrained and then she blows up because right. she's trying to be too restrained. So, uh, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. kind of every character's problem on the show because <laughs> of the cultural influence there. So yeah, wow. I mean, every, everything is intertwined. Could you describe Serena for us? <laughs> because <laughs> especially, actually, I would love to hear about your initial reaction. What was, do you remember your first impressions of the character? Yeah, I was really mystified. I, 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 there wasn't, there wasn't too much on the page. If you remember the pilot, there isn't, there's a little bit of Serena, but it's not very fleshed out. Very um, restrained. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember kind of wondering what had happened to this woman and mm. kind of making up in my brain what I thought had happened to her. And <laughs> I remember deciding that 
obviously there, cause there was the, you know, they hint at something with the previous handmaid and I had sort of decided that something very, very terrible had happened with the handmaid and that she no longer trusted the commander, her husband mm. out of that, it, you know, drastically, not just in a minor way, but drastically. And there was like a lot of trust issues there and a, and a wounded thing with her as well. Mm. Uh, so, which, which I, you know, which is kind of where we ended up going obviously with, with her. So those were sort of my initial things that I ended up running with quite heavily that she's very guarded, very wounded inside, but it's very, very mm. guarded and envious and, and jealous out of all of that. Yeah. Wow. Wounded. Interesting. You, in your backstage cover story, which at this point was a couple of years ago, you called her despicable. Yeah. I find interesting because, you know, it's often said when you're dealing with a character, you want the character to be close to you and you, and you don't want to judge the character, mm -hmm. but, um, she is despicable. you know, she really does despicable things. Mm -hmm. So like, what is your relationship with her? Like, you're talking about her, um, I guess her morality, like, what do you think of it? Does she have a morality? Yeah. I mean, well, there's two ways of looking at it from where I'm standing. I feel like everybody else looks at it from an objective point of view because you're looking mm -hmm. from the outside in. So it's easy to describe her from her actions as despicable and horrendous or whatever else you want to And if she is, my job mm -hmm. is to look beyond those words and ask why is she despicable? Why did she do that action? What is it in her heart that got messed up? Like what kind of, what happened to her to make her this way and to humanize her and add that element, which of course is no justification for, mm. for her behavior in the end. And she obviously deserves all the things that she, you know, she, she got and has coming her way. Um, <laughs> but for me, I have to peel back those layers and, and, and figure out who that little, the wounded little girl is really. I mean, it's mm. kind of like psychology in a lot of ways. Um, not that I ever really kind of actively look at it that way, but I, right. I just sort of, I just wonder what happened to her to make her this way. So it's a lot of that. That's kind of, that's very, uh, very surface kind of description <laughs> because there's so, there's so much, um, yes. but that's, that's the main kind of bit of it. Definitely. And is it, do you think it's true for, for actors, maybe playing villains, but also actors in general, that it's the why, it's the why that gets you closer to playing the heart of a character? Um, yeah, it's the why, because you can't really, you can't look at the end result because really mm. you know, everybody else is looking at her. As, it's the end result. You guys are all seeing the final product of gotcha. The, this, this is the presentation of Serena, but we, I don't look at it that way. I, I don't, I can't really. And it's automatic for me not to, because I'm looking at it as what, how, what her relationship is to each person, why she feels a certain way towards each person and what, you know, all the things like what pisses her off about everybody, what, what annoys her, what makes her angry, what makes her sad, what is her deepest, darkest secret? I mean, what does she really, really want? Who's getting in the way of that? And how does that make her feel? Um, so it's, it's really, it's, that that side of it mm -hmm. and so how do you break that down when you re when you get a script for handmaid's tale what kind of um script work do you do like how exact are you about she's feeling this in this moment she's thinking this her relationship to this person has like do you do beats 
and emotions or? No, it's so, it's just, I mean, I think at this point it's so automatic, you know, because I am, oh God, it's so gross to say, but I am Serena Joy, you know, when I'm, because (laughs) I am her, like I, (laughs) I, (laughs) I read it and I go, oh, okay. This, this is why she's doing it, gotcha. you know, Okay. <laughs> um, oh. you know, I mean, think only in, in moments where I'm wondering, you know, there was obviously there were some moments where I'm reading it, wondering what the writer's angle was at the time, if I'm confused or if there's something that isn't so very clear to me, um, okay. you know, then I'll have a discussion with, with the writer or with Bruce and gotcha. we'll go over it and kind of nut it out that way. Um, because it's always been very important for me to have a lot of clarity on her intentions mm-hmm. because then I can work backwards and peel it back and get to the, to, to the bottom of it. So I, for me, it's very important to have the end game. And I always have a discussion with Bruce prior to starting the filming or even one, even like earlier, usually when they're breaking down the season and, and the episodes, I like to kind of sit down with Bruce and have a conversation about Serena's overall arc for the season um, Very cool. so, so that I can then peel it back and, and figure out those sort of the emotional melody of that arc and what it's going to be mm. and where the payoffs can be. Emotional melody. Amazing. Yeah. That's emotional melody. Well, that's kind of, that's, that's very much how I see the, I mean, if there was, if there, if there was one takeaway, if there's one thing I could say about uh-huh. what a script transitions to for me as an actor, it's, it's basically like the score of the emotional melody. And really that's all that matters. Not all that matters, but if I had to pick one thing that mattered, it would be that. It's all about that. Amazing. That is super clear to me. I love this idea of you're looking at the end result and working backward to ask why. And is that, is part of being a TV actor in a long running show doing that thing of, um, like you're saying, on the one hand, it's it's you're slipping into the character and you know her. But on the other hand, you also are thrown curveballs and you get to go talk to the writers about and ask questions, right? Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it's, I mean that's, that's the beauty of a series. And I right. think so why people are so excited about them and even limited series is you just get so much more time to flesh out a character. Right. I think because predominantly I've spent time doing that versus film mm-hmm. film is I think trickier to really sit into and lean into in the same way that you can do with a character on a, on a TV show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would say comparatively a pilot is similar to a film a because it's, yeah. cause it's like a one-off, you know, thing. Cool. Um, but then once you get going, you know, you're in it for much longer than, mm-hmm. than you are on a film. It's a different, it's a very different process. You, you have, to, I mean, I find in film, you have to kind of really start sitting with the character sooner uh, in mm-hmm. your own way, whatever that is, like in your thoughts or whatever it is, whatever your process is, because um, you just don't have the length. It's not a marathon in a lot of ways, like a, mm-hmm. like a series is comparatively. That is so cool. And then, so that I love these conversations with Bruce about the overarching, overarching narrative of Serena. How much of that is then on the day of, of filming? Like, do things really change opposite a co-star depending on chemistry? I mean, I'd love to hear about working opposite Elizabeth because you guys are incredible together. Yeah. I mean, you, things can change totally on a dime. I mean, uh, you know, I always, 
obviously have some idea of um of how i see a scene i you know mm-hmm. obviously my opinions and my thoughts and uh, my serena joy feelings uh, <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's great on the, that's the beauty of of what we do you know you get on set and then you've got the director you've got the other actor you know and you're working together and you're sparking off of each other and one of the best things about working on this show especially with elizabeth is is getting lost in the moment in the in you know between mm-hmm. action and cut we really can get lost in the moment and it's super fun to work with an actor who isn't afraid to try new things in each take and and mm-hmm. we it's just so fun to move with each other as a unit and go to those places because i think we both have very strong ideas on where we each as an individual want to be for the character where we stand as as the characters mm-hmm. and we each come in with ideas but then when we put them together it's it's so cool because it's so often it often clashes which is great you know what i mean like it clashes in in the the character clashes there the conflict which is what is exciting Hmm. to watch about these two women they definitely conflict and they clash and they love and they hate each other and they just Hmm. have all this stuff brewing but i think it's i think that's um you know, that says something about how clear we are on where we sit within those characters, which is why, you know, going backwards, it's, you know, the more you're familiar with yourself, your strengths as an actor, your character, your, um, your material and where you're, where you're sitting with what you, what, what your thoughts are on it, you know, the more you can go on set and utilize all of that. And at the same time, throw it all away and, do something completely different and unplanned and have fun while you're doing it and have fun even in those really dark scenes yeah i mean the dark ones are really cool and i've heard elizabeth say this in interviews as well that she really loves the the dark stuff as do i i think it's it's like a a time where you really get to dive into all the layers and and pick different things out of these complicated situations to highlight and you know as Mm -hmm. you speak line and and move through the scene together and with and with different takes i mean i suppose the editor has a big role in this too yes the editor has a huge role and often you know i don't know i guess i have not been in an editing room like that so i don't know what that process is but i always i always can imagine how difficult sometimes it might be because sometimes the takes are quite Mm -hmm. varied i mean not Uh not always not i didn't mean to say often not always but um it depends. Yeah, because yeah. there really is, there kind of, you know, there really is a thousand million billion different nuances you can play in a scene. <laughs> totally. That's really how I think of Handmaids. I think the greatest strength of that show for me is that the dynamics between the characters, as you're saying, there's a, there's like about, there's at least a dozen different things going on between many of the characters at any given moment. And so it's cool to hear that part of that is, is totally prep and knowing the character and immersing yourself in the character. And another element of that is tossing it all out the window when you're there with your co-star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, Yvonne, this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Can I ask you some like silly, back, not quite rapid fire, but backstage questions to, to sure. wrap us up? Okay. We talked about how you got your, your SAG card, which was, which was on Chuck, of course, your quote unquote big break. Um, how did you get your actor's equity card? Don't tell me that was a uh, golden boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Broadway? Oh, okay. 
I have no idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you ever come, would you ever go do Broadway again? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What is your worst audition horror story? Oh my gosh. I just, you know, I think back in the day when I wasn't, you know, sometimes you have a, this is another thing that I feel like people should really teach people in acting, you know, lessons or drama when mm. you're starting out is your cost. The people who are reading for you in your audition will not always be involved or look like they give a shit about what they're doing and, oh. or what you're doing for that matter. So do not be put off by that. <laughs> right. So right. I think back in the early days, one of my horror stories is just having one like a, one of those really terrible 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 kind of readers where i i was like oh i was so thrown by what they were doing which is just it was just they may as well have been reading the newspaper and eating a sandwich while they were reading right. lines opposite me and especially if it's an emotional scene or whatever and you, you're supposed to be all in it and then and they're and they're just not and um you know like it's kind of a traumatic experience, but I, but don't let totally. it be. If you're listening to this and you're stuck, don't let yes. it be. <laughs> That's great advice. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, and in that similar vein, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Enjoy the journey. Hmm really enjoy the journey. I think that's super mm -hmm. important. It's especially for people who are, you know, driven and want results now. Um, oh yeah. You really have to enjoy the journey. And that's part of that whole rejection thing that we talked about, you know, mm -hmm. it's uh, so often, you know, those hundred auditions that you do before you land the job on number 101, you know, all those auditions prepped you for the 101, mm -hmm. you know, there's yeah. something that happened or you let, you gotta, you gotta, enjoy that journey of just relishing in, in, in everything and treating everything as a learning experience and exercise and something to nourish yourself, your career, your craft, however mm -hmm. you see it. Yeah. And to not just not think of it as rejection. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Okay. So what is one performance that every actor should see and why? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think the first thing that popped into my mind, I was trying to find something else, but I always answer <laughs> similar questions always make me think of the same thing. And that is, uh, when I was in high school and I watched, uh, Sophie's choice for the first time. And I remember, yes. um, just, you know, obviously it's a harrowing story and it's incredibly moving and, um, is watching the, the lightness and the darkness of that character and everything in between and, mm. and how how I fell into watching her performance and just believed everything. And it was mm. emotional for me. And I just thought it was so powerful. It was so inspiring for me that something, that something could have such an effect on someone, you know, watching a performance and that you could be so emotionally involved. And, um, and I love that. And that's been a big takeaway for me is, um, mm. is wanting to, wanting to really uh, hopefully allow audiences in, to the characters that I play in, in that kind of emotionally anchored kind of way. I, that's really what, um, inspires me when I, when I see it. Um, what I, one of the things I would say that I strive to do when I work. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Well, as I mean, Meryl Streep is that performance is, I'm not going to say the gold standard, but it, it's certainly a gold standard. And, um, 
thank you for ending on that note because I am such we know we are all such fans of Meryl Streep. It's actually the perfect note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who, she's a you know, I mean, she's like the the goddess of <laughs> the yep. industry. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Yvonne. We really got such an amazing insight into your process and into your values as an actor. And it's been really, it's really been a treat. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.